you want to be finding in the back of the Trinity hymnal, page 871 this time. It's the shorter catechism section. As we continue to make our way through, there are note sheets around you if that's helpful to you to have a visual. And then uh, uh, Katie Foy actually puts together for us our uh, sheets in the back for the kids as well, or anyone that wants to use them, <laughs> or kids at heart. Um, okay, we're looking at questions 30 and 31 this evening, Lord willing, but for now we're just going to read question 30, and then within the teaching itself we'll look at question 31. Um, so we'll read that together, and then I will read uh, just one verse as our key passage today from John 3.3. 3. So uh, join me in the answer to question uh, 30, which is, uh, how doth the Spirit apply to us the redemption purchased by Christ? The Spirit applieth to us the redemption purchased by Christ by working faith in us and thereby uniting us to Christ in our effectual calling. Okay, and then John 3, 3 reads this way. Jesus answered him, that is Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And we'll dive into that. So let me pray for us. God, we thank you for this chance to uh, look at this catechism question and the, and the scriptures that lie behind it. Uh, I pray that we would see the beauty of the gospel, that uh, from A to Z, uh, it's a work of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in whose name we pray now. Amen. Amen. Uh, well, as we continue in this section, you might remember, if you were here last week, we're, we're beginning a new section uh, that really, uh, one way to put it is this way, we've been looking at a section on redemption or salvation accomplished, um, uh, as in when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, right? Or what we saw this morning, Jesus dying for the sins of his people. Um, and now we're entering a section called redemption applied. So he purchases redemption for us. Then these catechism questions say, okay, tell me more about that once for all redemption that's purchased actually intersecting with the lives of believers in in, in our experience, in history, in time, this event that happened 2,000 years ago, how does it apply then and be applied to our lives? As we go into this section, it's, um, it's a little bit like if you were going to analyze, um, you know, two good friends that see each other after a long time and they run up to each other and just, it's like the best hug, right? The best embrace, like jump in the air. Uh, you know, one of them holds the other friend in an embrace. And it, you could describe that in two different ways, like we just did. We just said that was just the best embrace you've ever seen, right? Uh, so loving. Uh, you could, I mean, no one would like this, but you could analyze it and say, well, it, it wasn't just the embrace. Like the door opened and they saw each other and they ran to each other. And, and did you see how their arms opened? And, and, you know, then they knew that they could give the hug. And then there was the embrace. And then afterward, there was that sense of, wow, like look at these friends. And yet you could still summarize all of that and say, it was an embrace. Well, in the same way, uh, it, you can summarize redemption applied by saying that we are saved. <laughs> uh, Christ purchased salvation, we are saved. Or you could say we are born again. We have these biblical good phrases that sum up the whole story, as it were. And yet, Scripture also zooms in to sort of each step along the way. What happens when that salvation intersects with the life of a believer? And as we go into this section over the next few weeks, I, 
I, I pray that it's helpful to you uh, to see uh, that it truly is a work of God from start to finish, uh, even the faith that we have. So let's dive into that then. Um, by way of review, again, we, we said that we looked at redemption accomplished, uh, and last week we looked at that in question 29, and how are we, how are we made partakers of the redemption purchased by Christ? The answer was we are made partakers of the redemption purchased by Christ by the effectual application of it to us by his Holy Spirit. Uh, you could tell that feels like a summary statement, and now we're going to dive in and say, well, tell me more about that. But we said last week that redemption, uh, we typically think of redemption being purchased by Christ, amen, um, but the Father, the Son, and the Spirit accomplish salvation for us in many ways, but we said last week the Father chooses a people, the Son purchases those people, and then the Spirit applies salvation to those people. Um, and certainly, we don't want to differentiate too much, but that Scripture brings this out. Ephesians 1, we looked at last week, many other passages to help us to see this. Redemption was accomplished by the Trinity, planned by the Trinity, carried out by the Trinity, and is applied by the Trinity, certainly. Uh, but it's fitting that this part of the catechism starts to zoom in on the role of the Holy Spirit, especially. Um, so Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all involved here. And yet, it, it makes sense to highlight, as Scripture does, the role of the Spirit here, as we're now in this section called Redemption Applied. By way of overview, and we looked at this last week, hopefully it's helpful to have that in front of you. I'd, I like to see things uh, and say, where am I? Um, uh, and so, Redemption Applied, another way of talking about this uh, is called the Order of Salvation, or the Ordo Salutis. And Again, like we said, in, in one sense, it's like analyzing that embrace between two friends. You could summarize the whole thing rightly in certain words, and yet it's fitting that we look at each step along the way. Um, and as we'll see, this is a logical progression. This is, in, in a sense, the order that we see it happening. But don't think uh, that you can pluck one of these out uh, separately. Um, or have one happen and then the other happens 10 years later. Or uh, This is, uh, in one sense, many of these happen in one sense simultaneously, right, in the life of a believer. You see here that we're going to look tonight at effectual calling and regeneration. That's on the list for tonight, Lord willing. Uh, we're going to look at conversion, which has to do with faith and repentance, justification, sanctification, perseverance, all the way to glorification. And, of course, uh, Romans 8 gives us that uh, sort of summary statement of many of these. Um, so we get to question 30, which you read out loud with me. Um, so how does the Spirit apply redemption purchased by Christ? Tell me more, catechism writers, um, trying to summarize Scripture. And the answer, the Spirit applies to us the redemption purchased by Christ by working faith in us and thereby, thereby uniting us to Christ and our effectual calling. Uh, now, if the writers of the catechism were giving the teaching tonight, you'd probably stop them. Like, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> What's faith, and what is union with Christ? And, and then they end with effectual calling. And so in next week, Lord willing, we're going to look at faith. We're going to borrow from the later part of the catechism. We're going to look at repentance. And if you noticed on the order of salvation, sort of, did I put it on the side? Was I able to handle that? Probably not. I did. Good. Good. Um, so it, I, I love that visual that it, 
union with Christ just pervades all of it. We're, we're called in Christ, and we're regenerated in Christ, and we're converted. It, it's, it's amazing. When, when we're justified, we die with Christ, and we rise with Christ. So we're going to spend a whole time looking at a larger catechism question that says, what is union with Christ? Um, but for tonight, we get to the very end of that question 30, what is effectual calling? And because it makes sense, it comes first when we think about Redemption has been accomplished once and for all. It's now going to intersect with the life of a, well, we'd say future believer. And so we say it starts with his effectual calling. And so what is effectual calling? That's question 31. Uh, so let me read uh, that for you. It's a longer one, so I'll just, I'll just read it. What is effectual calling? Effectual calling is the work of God's spirit, whereby convincing us of our sin and misery enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ and renewing our wills, he doth persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the gospel. That's a beautiful question and answer in summary. And we're going to sort of pull it apart because there's so much here. Uh, but this, this first um, idea, th- this idea of effectual calling, God, God calls his people, as we'll see, by name. Uh, but, but before that, let's, let's talk about two different types of callings that we see in Scripture. There's first a general call of the gospel. So general, if, you, if you're doing the fill-ins. And then in a second, we'll look at the effectual call of the Spirit. The general call of the gospel. Think of Matthew twenty-two fourteen. For many are called, uh, but few are chosen. Uh, Thomas Watson puts it this way. Uh, This is God's offer of grace to sinners, inviting them to come and accept Christ and salvation. So general meaning it it goes out to everyone. Uh, This call is going out to the very ends of the earth. And so there's three aspects of it, and then we'll look at similar aspects of the next call. It's, It's general or universal. This call goes out to the world indiscriminately, old, young, whatever country, whatever language. Uh, you know, Jesus says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. It's outward. This call is written or spoken and can therefore fall on blind eyes and deaf ears. So it's outward. So some can hear it or see it and read it and say, no, thank you. They can refuse this call uh, in their sin. And John 5:40 says, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life, right? Those that were crucifying Christ, as we saw this morning, most of them had heard his teaching. They had heard the gospel, and yet at that point, at least in their life, they were rejecting him. So it's, it's outward and can stay outward, as it were, for someone who rejects him. And so to put it provocatively, it's ineffectual, not because of who's making the call, uh, this call is ineffectual in itself to save lost sinners. Thomas Vincent puts it this way, in itself it is insufficient to persuade and enable them to come unto him. You know, Jesus says, indeed in their case the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear but never understand, you will indeed see but never perceive. Uh, the call goes out, and even in our day, Sunday by Sunday, preachers are getting up, preaching the gospel, and in every church, there's at least someone there who has not embraced Jesus Christ as their Savior. 
and they can't say it's because they haven't heard the call. They've heard the call, and yet they continue to reject. And so there's this general outward call, but then the story's different for some of us. And if you're a believer today, maybe you didn't know this term, but you've experienced what's called the effectual call. Um, Watson puts it this way. There, there's an inward call when God, with the offer of grace, works grace. By this call, the heart is renewed, and the will is effectually drawn to embrace Christ. The outward call brings men to a profession of Christ, the inward to a possession of Christ. And so the nature of it is very, if, if we look at sort of flipping from the general call, one, it's, it's special. This call comes specifically to those chosen by God before time, right? That, that string in Romans 8, th- uh, 30, and, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he justified, justified, glorified. You could see A to Z, right? We were chosen in Christ, in love, before the foundation of the world, Ephesians. And then Christ went and purchased salvation for those who were chosen in Christ, in love, before the foundation of the world. Um, so that, as one author says, the calling is, is just as effective as the, as the choosing. <laughs> um, so secondly, it's, it's inward, right? The, the other call can stay outward, but to put it a different way, some people hear the outward call, but it goes inward. Uh, inward, this call is made inwardly to the heart, mind, and will. Think of what Jesus says in John chapter 10. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Right? Isn't that interesting? They will hear my voice. And earlier in in that good shepherd passage, he says that he knows his sheep by name and calls them by name, and they recognize his voice, and they come and follow him. And so that, and so that when this happens, as we'll see, like Acts chapter 2, verse 37, uh, and when, when Peter preaches and he says, you know, you crucified Jesus, and it says they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And he tells them to repent and believe. So maybe those same people had heard the gospel before, but at this point the spirit was at work and cut them to the heart and suddenly their eyes were open and they said, what shall we do? <laughs> um, it might have been a similar message that they heard before, but now uh, it's effectual uh, for them. And so lastly, it's effectual. This call is made effectual by the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, by the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, like we looked at earlier, it's it's the call going out, but then the grace of God going out with it to enable people to actually hear and respond. Um in Acts chapter 16, um, uh, we have someone by the name of Lydia in our church. And uh, here it says, One who heard was a woman named Lydia from the s- city of uh, Thyatira, a seller of pur- purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Um, and, and that's really, any of us, that's our testimony. It's, it's not, well, one day I was... I was finally smart enough that when I went to church that day, I, I got it. I got the gospel. Or, you know, I, I sinned half as much as I normally do, so that Sunday I was just ready to hear. Um, it's that he opened our heart to pay attention, let alone to receive uh, what is uh, being uh, spoken uh, to us. 
Um, so how do people receive this call? Where does it come through? It comes through, number one, the preached word, and number two, the work of the Spirit. And so we say word and spirit. Uh, right? You know Romans 10, 14, how will they call on him who they have not believed? How will they believe whom they've never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? Um, later catechism questions deal with this, as we'll see in, in months to come. Um, actually, I'll read this one. It, question 89 is so helpful. How is the word made effectual, there's that same word, to salvation? In other words, how does the preaching of, or how does God's word do something in people that makes them receive salvation? That words don't typically do that, right? And so it answers this way. The spirit of God makes the reading, but especially the preaching of the word, an effectual means of convincing and converting sinners and of building them up in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. So again, it's the word and spirit go together. Um, and so we say the work of the spirit. Uh, uh, I think it was John Murray's book. He puts it this way. The ministry of the word is, is like the pipe or the organ uh, the spirit of God blowing in it uh, effective, uh, effectually changes men har- men's hearts. The spirit comes with a key and opens the door. I love that. And we saw that in John 3, 3. Jesus, you know, says to Nicodemus, who in some ways, you know, he's seeking the kingdom. He, he, he's so close. But Jesus says, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then in verse 5, he says, unless one is born of water, and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so, as we saw earlier in the catechism, before this happens, we're in a state of sin and misery. Um, and we deserve to be there, and it blinds us from even seeing the truth of the gospel. Uh, you know, it's, it's like someone at the bottom of a, of a well that isn't even aware that they're at the bottom of a well. And so they're not looking for a rope. <laughs> they can't even see a rope. They can't see there's a way out. But when the Spirit comes and makes us born again, which we'll talk about in a second, regeneration, um, then we can see the kingdom of God, and then therefore we can enter the kingdom of God. And so this is what that effectual call is, is the gospel goes out generally to everyone. Every, Every human being, to put it this way, has a right to hear the gospel proclaimed. And that's the mission of the church, to go to the very ends of the earth. Everywhere the gospel is proclaimed, there will be some who reject it. Those who accept it are those who receive not only the general call, but with it, the Spirit's work to open their eyes and hearts to receive uh, what uh, is being proclaimed in the gospel. And the thing that happens to someone that makes them able, if we want to zoom in even more, (laughs) is, is regeneration. And we've sort of been, you could see how you can't pull these apart. It's effectual because of regeneration, as we'll see. But let's dive in. What is regeneration? We'll spend just a moment here. Um, uh, John Murray, in his book, calls it the link between calling and conversion, that hearing the call, um, but there's a, there's a problem. We said that we're in a, in a state of sin and misery. We're not even able to see the kingdom. So how do you get from hearing the gospel to entering the gospel or, or having salvation be true for you? Uh, regeneration, then, is that link biblically, right? Because uh, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Um, Murray's 
summarizes the answer this way. It's the glory of the gospel of God's grace that it provides for this uh, problem, as it were. God's call, since it's effectual, carries with it the operative grace whereby the person called is enabled to answer the call and to embrace Jesus Christ as he is freely offered in the gospel. And that grace is the grace of regeneration. And it, it, we can quote Murray all day, but let's just one more, if you'll allow it. Um, he defines regeneration this way. God affects a change which is radical and all-pervasive. Like if you asked Murray what is regeneration, this would be his answer. God affects a change which is radical, all-pervasive, a change which cannot be explained in terms of any uh, combination, permutation, or accumulation of human resources, a change with it which is nothing less than a new creation by him who calls the things uh, that be not as though they were, who spake and it was done, who commanded and it stood fast. This, in a word, is regeneration. So in one sense, he says regeneration is a recreation. And we see this in Ezekiel 36. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit uh, within you. I'll remove the heart of stone of flesh uh, from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Or 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Or to use the language of the new birth, like Jesus does in John chapter 3, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Uh, so that, um, one author puts it, we are as dependent upon the Holy Spirit as we are upon the action of our parents in connection with our natural birth, right? We didn't decide to be born physically. We had nothing to do with it. Um, and here, Jesus uses that exact metaphor to say that we must be born again of the Spirit. And th- so this idea of regeneration then means, if if we summarize that question 31, he he convinces us of our sin and misery. He's convincing us, persuading us. He enlightens our minds in the knowledge of Christ. That's that eye-opening. He renews our wills. Because remember, in, in a state of sin and misery, we're not only in sin and misery, but we love it. And we hate God. But he gives us a new heart, renews our wills. And then it says he persuades and enables us to embrace Jesus Christ, freely offered to us in the gospel. And and we'll see that that gets into the, into the definition of faith. But for now, let's pause on, the, on this note, uh, the gospel of effectual calling and regeneration. Every false gospel that you will hear fails at this very point. Other religions may call for a life of righteousness, and their rule set might look very similar to the Ten Commandments because they have the law of God written on their hearts. Other religions may even account for some level of forgiveness offered. Actually, in Islam... There's teaching that God will forgive sins. But false gospels provide at best a semblance of what we call the general call. And even then it's a pale, false comparison. But they do not, with that call, give the means of accepting the call. And so at best they load people down um, with something they're unable to do anything about. Only the gospel makes the dead man's heart beat again so that he could follow Christ. Only the gospel rids the sinful heart of hatred of God so that she can willingly come. In other words, he chose you. He called you. He opened your ears to hear. He enables you to answer by faith. He gives you a new will that longs to embrace Christ. And 
here's the good news of that. Well, there's many things, but if he did all of that, then surely don't you think he's going to bring you all the way home to him in glory? So from A to Z, salvation belongs to the Lord. We're, we're going to keep seeing that in this section, in our calling, in the regeneration that takes place in the midst of it, and, and therefore all the way home. Uh, let's pray. And God, we thank you for your word that it, it humbles us. It reminds us that salvation is, is of you uh, and your spirit. Uh, I pray that your people here tonight would be in, in encouraged and, and assured uh, that if they belong to you, uh, that uh, you have placed your name upon them, uh, you, that they are in the palm of your hand and, and, and no one can snatch them away. And so, Lord, I pray that we would live into this uh, reality even this week, um, free in Christ, obedient to Christ uh, by the work of the Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.